Hello, and welcome to the penultimate chapter of the Oxford Audio Tour. In this episode, we're heading out of the Bear Pub, up Tull Street and into the Covered Market. On the way, we're going to be hearing about two more wacky traditions, a bear and the murder of an Oxford student. If you decided not to stop off at the Bear for a drink, I would still highly recommend you take the chance to pop your head in and see the inside of this cosy, warm corner of the city centre. The low ceilings, oak panelling, creaking floorboards and open fire pits of this old pub are a sight to behold. This pub, the oldest in Oxford, dates all the way back to 1242. Back in those days, Oxford had what was known as a bear pit, which was just a few metres from this pub behind the stone wall which now denotes the northern boundary of Christchurch. It was a large pit in the ground which essentially worked like a primitive style of stadium, surrounded by raised seating in which punters would gather. The principal purpose of this arena was for animal baiting, essentially pitting large or exotic beasts against one another. It was an enormously popular spectacle in England from roughly the 12th century up until as recently as the early 19th century, and would feature all sorts of animals from cocks and hens, bulls, dogs, and of course, bears. People would travel from all over the land to watch these animals fight. Oxford's located just 60 miles, or in medieval parlance, perhaps two days travel from central London, where the country's largest bear garden sat. Touring troops would often head over to Oxford following their tours of London before continuing off up north. Due to the repeat value of these appearances, the poor beasts would often have their claws and teeth removed. See, the attraction for the spectators was only partly to do with the fighting. The real focus, a lot of the time, was actually on gambling. Much like modern betting markets nowadays, where people are free to bet on a multitude of options, anything from the final score to the colour of a player's socks, punters in medieval Oxford were drawn to the pit for the thrill of gambling. The Bear Pub opened at this location to cater for these punters, with food, drink and quarter. Indeed, the Turf Tavern that we discussed earlier, sitting down the quiet alleyway beneath the Bridge of Sighs, was so named for the Turfs, the old word for a bookie or a bookmaker, who would, having made their money at the pit, head off to the relative calm of that slightly more upmarket alehouse. Having experienced a resurgence in popularity during the reigns of Henry VIII and Elizabeth I, both notable fans of the sport, bear baiting would not be banned in England until 1835. I hasten to add that it was not due to any objection on behalf of the poor beasts, but by Puritans and Quakers who took issue not with the blood sports itself, but with the fact that it traditionally took place on a Sunday. Fortunately, there are other reasons for the bear's popularity in more recent times. Back in the early 20th century, a new landlord took over the pub and decided to kick off a rather unique tradition. Neckties were, not so long ago, a far more common feature of male dress, and in a city like Oxford, with all of its clubs, societies and colleges, there were a wealth of different colours and patterns adorning the necks of students and visitors from all around the world. The landlord was a bit of a connoisseur of neckties, and used his position to boost his collection. He would ask patrons where their colourful ties came from, and if he was duly impressed, he'd whip out a pair of scissors and snip off one end of the tie. Over the years, as you might imagine, this upset a fair few people, but they would be plied with cheap booze to assuage their losses. And thanks to this landlord's persistence, the walls and ceilings of the bear are now adorned with over 4,500 specimens of necktie from all over the world. The pub is rather small, and due to the lack of space, the tradition ended back in the late 90s. However, if you hang around this pub until closing time, you'll regularly find that slightly pissed visitors will leave their ties on a table or bench in the hope that theirs too will be added to the walls. Indeed, if you're ever in the area and in urgent need of a tie, as I once was, the lovely bar staff will happily oblige with one from the many boxes of leftovers that are stored upstairs. If you happen to play sport for a particular club, or go to a particular university, or perhaps school that had its own tie, 
You might not want to spend all day looking for it, but if you pop in and ask, you may well find that a small snippet of one might be hiding somewhere. Once you've said goodbye to the bear, head north up Alfred Street towards the High Street. At the end of Alfred Street, your gaze will likely be drawn to the magnificent tower on the other side of the road, just ahead of you and slightly to the right. This is the Lincoln College Library, sitting on the corner of Tell Street, which is where we're going to walk next. I'd also like to draw your attention to one of the inconspicuous entrances to the covered market, just to the left of Tim's newsagent, itself a little to the left of what was until very recently the Mitre Pub, a very old medieval pub which is apparently being closed for student accommodation. I hope I'm wrong, time will tell, and hopefully you will know the answer as you're standing and looking upon it. We're going to be walking out of that exit in around 20 minutes time, so make a note of it. For now, cross the road, using the traffic lights to your left if necessary, and begin to walk up Tell Street. I feel like a broken record describing every street in Oxford as historic, but please allow me to use that adjective just once again in reference to Tell Street. The earliest records of this road date back to the 12th century, when it was known as St Mildred Street, though shortly after that time it was renamed due to the Turl Gate, which was present at the point of the city's walls to which Tell Street extended, though it has now been extended all the way to Broad Street. The Turl, by the way, comes from an old French word, tirel, which described animals pulled by reins. At this point, I'd like to briefly mention that I've put together a great interactive map of the old city wall of Oxford, which you can view on the Oxford Audio Tour website. It includes photos of all the remaining bastions and foundations, many of which you can still go and see for yourselves, along with old drawings and paintings and a bid to show you this really fascinating elephant <laughs> element of Oxford's medieval past. The first thing you'll see on Tell Street is the beautiful parade of shops on the left-hand side, several of which date from the Tudor period. You'll find a wonderful whiskey shop, the Oxford Wine Company, and a fabulous little shop called Scripton, which feels like something straight out of Diagon Alley. Tell Street is home to three of the university's colleges. I'm reminded of a joke told by writer and polemicist Christopher Hitchens, who once overheard on this street an elderly American gentleman mutter to his wife, Gee honey, I just don't know which is Jesus and which is Lincoln. Lincoln College and Jesus College, then, can be found on Tell Street, along with Exeter College. As you walk up the road, the Yellowstone buildings and walls on your right-hand side are all a part of Lincoln College, founded back in 1427 by the Bishop of Lincoln. Halfway up the street, you'll come to the crossroads with Market Street on the left, leading up to Corn Market Street, and on the right, just before the main wooden entrance to Lincoln College, Brasenose Lane, which leads down to Radcliffe Square. Along Brasenose Lane, you will, unsurprisingly, find Brasenose College, so named due to a 12th century ornate bronze doorknob that once adorned the main door to the college and now hangs on the wall in the college dining hall. Brasenose and Lincoln share a dividing wall, and, as with most neighbouring colleges in Oxford, the two share a rather fierce rivalry. The origins of this rivalry are said to date back to the 13th of May 1490, when two students, one from each college, found themselves in trouble with a group of angry townspeople. The story goes that these two students were out drinking in a local tavern when they got into a fistfight with some locals. They ended up fleeing for their lives and, chased by an angry mob, they turned up Tell Street and arrived at the wooden doors of Lincoln College, knocking furiously lest this mob of angry locals rip them to shreds. The porter asked the two students which colleges they were from. Upon hearing their answers, the porter allowed the Lincoln man into safety but refused entry to the brazenose man, who was killed by the mob just moments later. Since then, on the 13th of May of each year, an old wooden door connecting the two colleges is unlocked and Lincoln students welcome Brasenose students into their college for free ale in penance of this unfortunate incident. 
Quickly after the inception of the tradition, the Lincoln students apparently found that the Brazo students drank far more free ale than they had anticipated, and so they began a different tradition, which was to flavour the ale with the ivy that can be seen growing on the walls of Lincoln's front quadrangle. The doors to Lincoln College are often open, and visitors are usually free to pop their heads in and look around. I'd recommend that you do. Next, head down Market Street and into the Covered Market, the entrance to which you'll see on the left-hand side after around 50 yards. This market area fills around one and a quarter acres of the city centre. Opened in 1744, the original purpose was to corner away the regular meat markets that had sprung up around the city. These markets were quite unpleasant, not just because of the sight of carcasses and the associated smells, but because the blood and entrails that often lined the gutters of the streets of the city centre once these markets had cleared off. Once the covered market was open, it was the only area in the city centre that meat could be sold in. Over the course of the past 30 years or so, most of the stalls in the covered market have moved away from meat and greengrocers, and in their places have sprung up all sorts of little artisanal businesses, from jewellers and tailors to cafes and bakeries. In fact, the original Ben's Cookies shop opened in the covered market back in 1983, and it still occupies that same place. If you've not heard of Ben's Cookies, I'd highly recommend that you check it out. Personally, I think they're the best cookies in the world. Go and find out for yourself. Pause here and take your time to explore the covered market, because there is so much to see. Grab a bite to eat, buy a candle, have a haircut, I don't know, do what you like. But there's plenty to see, go and explore it and take your time. Afterwards, head out on one of the High Street exits. The High Street, I ought to say, is basically parallel with Market Street, the one that you came in on. And so just head right over to the far side, walk out of one of those exits and turn right. After 50 yards or so, you'll come to a major crossroads known as the Carfax. Historically, this has been considered the very centre of the city. And it's here that we'll start the 8th and final episode of this audio tour. In it, we're going to discover two of the oldest remaining structures in Oxford, both of which herald from Saxon times. We'll finish with the astonishing tale of three of England's most powerful bishops, burned alive for their roles in the English Reformation. You'll actually stand on the exact spot that these three men met their pretty grim ends, and I look forward to telling you all about it.